So hey, my name is Vidal Gonzalez. Um, I'm the CTO for WiseLine and I've been building software teams for the past 10 years. Um, the reason why uh, both Matt and I were talking here is because we want to share some of our experiences in tech and we're just excited to discuss topics. Yeah, well, we, we needed an outlet uh, for uh some of the ideas, some of the conversations that we don't get to have on a daily basis. And so we're starting a regular podcast. And why don't, why don't you reveal to everybody the name of the podcast? Let's do that. So as we were deciding what to name this, um, Matt said, like, let's just look for a word that in Spanish would mean something and then do something interesting with it. So I, I, I thought of, of words that would resemble having a conversation, which is what we want to have today, just conversations. Um, so I remember the word tertulia, which is, uh, I think you researched this on, 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 on Wikipedia. So it means like a salon in like Portugal or Spain back in like the time of Columbus or something. Like they would have like educated artistic people. So we're going to call it Tectulia. And uh, not everybody's going to like it, but we're going to just keep using it until everybody likes it. Yeah. Um, so my name is Matt Pashensky. I'm uh, one of the co-founders with Vidal of WiseLine. We're not here to just kind of talk about WiseLine, though. We kind of uh, want an outlet. Uh, for people to talk about uh, tech, uh, tech in Mexico especially. We both live down here in Guadalajara. Uh, myself, I moved down uh, from San Francisco about a year and a half ago, almost two years ago, uh, with, with my wife. And uh, we've been really loving Guadalajara. And today, I think the topic that we want to discuss is not, not in a negative way, but what's holding Mexican technology back? And uh, I, wrote a, I wrote a blog about this uh, maybe oh, a year ago, a while, while back, yeah. and kind of just looked at why aren't there unicorns in Mexico? So that was kind of the topic we want to discuss, uh, kick off our first podcast maybe with a thematic, what can we do to, to build unicorns in Mexico? And I think the things that we want to talk about today are why is that even important? Because obviously yeah. making money isn't the only thing in the world, but why is it important? Yeah. Um, what's holding us back? And then what can we do? And what's going to happen if, if we do change some of these things that I think are, are preventing uh, some of the size companies in Mexico that you see in the U.S.? Yeah, and um, the, the first thing that I would, I would think is, I mean, most people will ask, what is it about unicorns that makes them uh, special? Why, why do we care? Well, I, you know, first off, the first answer is that... Uh, when you're funding a company, now you don't need to have every company funded. You could have bootstrap companies and things like that. And I think those are great. You'll get Atlassian's worth like $12 billion with yeah. bootstrapped out of uh, Australia. Uh, that means, and bootstrapping, by the way, means you don't raise money. You just use the money you're making as a business to slowly build a business. It takes longer. Um, but the vast majority of successful tech companies are funded by venture capital. Yeah. And I think the first and foremost reason that we want to think about why it's important to have billion dollar companies, that means billion dollar valuation, um, is that it's a, it's a threshold that is at top of mind for investors, for the press, um, and in particular, every venture capitalist wants at least a billion dollar valuation. <laughs> so this is a good rule of thumb. If you ever go pitch in the Silicon Valley, now, you know, we've only done it a few times, but the, the, you can't go and pitch a oh, million-dollar company. Everyone wants to say, I have a million-dollar idea. Yeah. Well, venture capitalists want to give you a million dollars. They want to hear about how you're going to make a million dollars. And actually, yeah. the threshold for most venture capitalists is a billion dollars. Yeah. And I remember, like, um, when we started WiseLine, um, Chris Saka, which is a very 
uh, well-known investor in the U.S. After he uh, got out of that meeting with Bismarck, he tweeted, like, I love Google alumni, make no small plans. And I think, I mean, back to the point of, of Mexico, I think that um, for companies to really reach the levels of of the major companies we have in this country that are north of billion, several billions of dollars, like the Semex of, of the world, and Pharmacis Guadalajara and all of those, um, in tech particularly, people just need to be aiming higher. Yeah, I think that's something that we should kind of dive into more. Um, as a listener, we're going to hand out some of our contact information. Uh, follow us on Twitter, DM us, whatever. Uh, find us in the street. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, as, as we start to look in and like, you know, what are those things that are holding back companies in Mexico from reaching those scales? I mean, what are the, th- you know, what do you mean by think bigger? Yeah. So first of all, I, I don't, I don't think that when we think of businesses, uh, we see Mexico as a great market. Um, in my experience, when I started my own company, uh, me and my co-founder were thinking of reaching the United States because that's obviously the biggest market in the world. Um, and I think it's the safe bet to go to the to to target the market in the U.S. But I believe that um, the biggest companies that Mexico can generate need to start servicing a market that they know. And I think that's a big challenge because until recently, um, there were not many business opportunities to create technology uh, or I guess internet-based companies that will yield the results that we've seen in other economies. Yeah, and you know, one of the most common things that uh, I see when, we're, when, when, I, when I hear about uh, companies start in Mexico, when I talk with the founders is you know, that first decision is like, well, we're going to do something that, you know, might be done in Europe or it might be done in the United States, but we're going to do it for Latin America. Right. And uh, that immediately limits the scope of your business. And it kind of puts you on a, 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 a wrong foot because guess what? All of the big American companies that are developing some technology look south and they see like, you know, there's a lot of people in Latin America. There's probably like a billion people. In I wish I yeah. got the number. Yeah. There's a lot of people. In Latin America, and of course they're thinking about as soon as I conquer the U.S., I'm going to come to Latin America. And you see that in Amazon, for instance. And now Amazon's not exactly a startup anymore. Okay, uh, 625 million. Yeah, at all. not close. Well, <laughs> we're getting there. Getting there. more babies. But uh, you know, Amazon is coming south. Yeah. Netflix is yeah. coming south. Spotify is coming south. And in fact, moving from the United States to Mexico. I use Uber. I use all my. I use you know all yeah. the stuff that I use in the United States, and I hardly notice anymore. So it's not a very defensible position as a Mexican startup, or a startup that's focused on Latin America to say I'm going to take the Latin American market and then I'll own it because there's going to be that very competitive and well-funded startup from the U.S. That you're still going to have to worry about. So you need to think about a differentiation that can allow you to start in the market, but then maintain. Uh, Maintain your market share in the face of competition from China now is a is a is a major source of competition worldwide. Yeah, and not just think that well, I started in Mexico, I'll be able to defend it forever. Yeah, and I, and I think I mean, if you think of traditional businesses in Mexico that have reached a certain scale, they took ages to build. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I've heard of the latest company. I mean, it probably was like. George Clooney's tequila, right? <laughs> like the latest billion-dollar company in Mexico, and it's not—it's not even a Mexican company. Just 
like the product was produced here. But I think that another thing that Mexican companies need to look for is speed. Um, and if you incorporate going very, really, really fast and growing your business, that's when you really can like cross that chasm of like a company that is trying to make it and a company that has built momentum, speed, funding, and really, I mean, has turned heads to be able to be considered a unicorn. And, and, and I think, for example, when, when people were talking about unicorns in, in economies like in India, that's when people started noticing that in China that new startups, venture-backed, were growing rapidly and there was a market to invest there. So I think that also the relevance of, of building unicorns in Mexico is that you start turning heads, right, from exactly. investing all over the world. And, and I think it's a good point to actually talk about what are those, because you talk about momentum. Yeah. And I think that's certainly something that we've seen as, you know, we've grown different businesses is that you get to a certain scale or a certain speed of growth and it gives you a lot of credibility. Yeah. It also gives you a lot of publicity. Yeah. Um, and so not only that, I think if you're the fastest growing or you're the biggest in a certain market, yeah. you get advantages that no one else gets. If you're the biggest kid on the playground, mm -hmm. no one's gonna pick fights with you, Yeah. right? But if you're, you're in the middle of the pack, you're gonna, you're gonna catch a few, uh, you know, people, people are gonna come after you and challenge you and things like that. And so for instance, when you get to that scale where you can recruit anyone in, in, your, in your home market, for yeah. instance, as, as an employee, that's like a really important thing. And that's one of the advantages of raising money is quickly getting to that scale where you can don dominate and do things that no one else can do simply because you're the biggest kid on the playground. Uh, so I've, I've also heard um, concerns from people when a company is growing too fast what about culture? What about all those things that people care about? How, what do you think about the type of thinking that people need to put in and just say, you know what? Yeah, culture is important, but you, I mean, I've heard people say you won't have a culture unless you, you grow a healthy business and in a rapid, fast way so that people uh, pay attention and notice. So what is there to say uh, when people have that dilemma should i grow aggressively fast or at a more uh, steady pace um my company so i i think the, the one of the best books on startups ever and the psychology of startups as you're growing them i think is uh, ben horowitz's hard um, thing about hard things hard thing about hard things it's yeah. a fantastic book I yeah. several other very good books we'll link it on the on the description we'll, we'll link it in the description wherever we we end up uh, hosting all of this <laughs> uh we got, we got some work to do in post-production but one of the things that Ben talks about and hard thing about hard things is essentially the theme of the book is there's like a hundred things that can go wrong with startup, maybe 10,000. Yeah. It's a lot. And if any one of those things goes wrong and you don't fix it, that's it. And it doesn't matter that you got the other 99 right. And um, he, he talks about a different mindset that people have to have is that if there is a solution to your problem, you have to get your employees to buy in. You have to get your customers to buy in. You need investors to buy in. You need your team to be motivated and perform. And you need a lot of other things to go right. There's two ways to think. You can think generalistically, yeah. like you know, the 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 most 
effective way to start a company is to be agile. And the most effective place to start is San Francisco. And you can do all of these generalistic things and you kind of multiply all the probabilities together. But you know, honestly, if you, if you, if you start your company with the best people in the best place and the best style, you still most of the time fail. Yeah. And the, the techniques that Ben says is that you have to really pick a very particular and narrow path through all of these different probabilities, like is San Francisco the right place? Is Guadalajara the right place? Now we've started, I think, a, a growing and successful business in Guadalajara and it's been a great place for us, but everything else had to change to account for that. And so coming back to your question on, do you, how do you navigate those compromises between growing quickly and having a great culture? You don't get to say, well, great culture is where we should put our energy and growing quickly can put aside. You have to do both. And you have to thread that needle where you grow quickly, but you pay a hell of a lot of attention and you put a hell of a lot of work and you have to get lucky a few times where you can continue to uh, be a place where people are honest, have high integrity, are interested in growing the business, treat each other with respect. Um, now, certainly if you're aware that that has to happen, you can put the work in, but I don't yeah. think you, t- you, you never get to ignore anything in a, in a, when you're starting a business. You have to k- t- take out every one of those factors. Yeah, and um, I've been looking at this article from Priceonomics. It's called Tech Unicorns, which are growing and which are shrinking. And it, it has some pretty interesting data on it. Um, but at the end, it also mentions that uh, most of the, of the fast growing unicorns are, are still in the, uh, uh, in the uh, sharing economy. Do you think there's a special type of company that gets to, to be a unicorn quite fast given the nature of the business or does it apply to any type of technology company? I think number one, when you think about the size and scale of a billion dollar company, um, you have huge advantages from the press, uh, you have access to a lot more capital um, which allows you to grow and compete against your opponents because if I'm fighting you and I can afford to be unprofitable for 10 years and you can afford to be unprofitable yeah. for three months, guess who wins? And so yeah. Uber, for instance, just outraised all of its rivals. Um, and so being big and uh, you know the rich get richer, that has to be a goal, yeah. unfortunately. And it's not like I have like, you know, I don't wanna like sit here and like Ayn Rand, I'm not like, you know, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not advocating rich get richer. Um, I'm saying that there are these kind of winner take all dynamics in certain markets and cer- certainly in fast growing, undifferentiated markets like the sharing economy, um, the network effects tend to overwhelm every other distinguishing factor in the market. So Lyft is almost the same as Uber, Mm -hmm. but the fact that Uber has much better market share across 90% of the markets that Uber's in mean that it just dominates Lyft. Um, And Airbnb, you know, what's the other one, VRBO? Yeah. You hardly hear about them anymore because the brand awareness and the network effects of having more listings and more customers when um is the world getting more expensive or like i mean why are companies just all of, all of a sudden being valued at these high valuations is it because there's plenty of money out there to invest and that's why uh this large proportion of of, of uh companies are being started or or what do you think um well, I think that you know we're seeing everyone always kind of talks about the negative effects of globalization, and um, you know now I've lived in the United States and Mexico. I also lived in Vietnam for six months last year, 
And uh, you know, you've traveled to 50 countries. You know, we, we have a global operation, global customers. And as you travel around the world, like I said, more and more you have your iPhone and it works in Vietnam. And Vietnam is a very different country. It's a great country. Yeah. Um, but it's very different than the United States, and China is very different than the United States, but you can still use an Android phone or, a, or, a, or an iPhone. And you know, I, I would go to, um, I was in Ho Chi Minh City, is where I lived, and you can order an Uber on your iPhone in Ho Chi Minh City, and a guy on a motorcycle will come pick you up and you get on the back. Now it's, you know, if I had lived, <laughs> you know, if I had lived in Ho Chi Minh City 20 years ago, I would have only taken cabs, and yeah. I would have been very limited in I don't know where the restaurants are, but I can use Yelp or Foursquare Four was really what was popular there, yeah. um, and all of these different services. And so what's happening is there's a substrate of daily life that is becoming more and more standardized across the world, and despite yeah. the fact that we still have so many cultural differences, everyone's using. Android, everyone's using HTML, everyone's using these standard practices. And what that means is the markets that are available to tech companies are enormous. Because if you figure something out in the United States, even though you gotta make some modifications, you can take an Uber ride in a Prius in San Francisco, and it looks enough like a motorcycle ride in Ho Chi Minh City that it still works. The app still works basically exactly the same. And it's amazing that you can just travel between these places. And I think yeah. that's leading to the like the overwhelmingly large because the United States is not that big of a country. Yeah. It's three hundred million people. It's twenty, you know, it's seventeen trillion dollars. Um, but it's still, you know, there's a there's a lot of the world left. And even the United States is becoming more homogenous in terms of um, technology companies being able to access local markets. Yeah. And um so one of the things that, I, that, to me, building a unicorn is kind of a it's kind of a cliche, right? Definitely. But I do appreciate the creation of wealth that these companies bring. Like, I I have a, a friend that works for one of these unicorns, and I can see how her life will be transformed by an event, which is uh, either an early exercise of stock or an exit, right? Um, uh, and for those of you that are, are new to the concept, whenever you join one of these venture-backed companies, it's pretty common for you to get stock uh, options from that company. And whenever that there's a there's an exit event, whether it's a it's a, a company gets acquired or gets to go public, um, depending on the mechanics, you you get to exercise that stock uh, and convert it into cash, right? Um, I think it was pretty transformational for for some of us in that perspective, especially in Mexico. Most companies don't offer stock, yeah. but whenever that uh, acquisition of Uyala happened, most of my peers was like, "This is real, right?" Like, I, mean, I don't know. Probably people were thinking that. So we yeah. we we both worked at a company called Uyala exactly. many years back, and Uyala was a uh, Silicon Valley company started by Sean Knapp, Bell, and Bismarck Lepe. And uh, it had a large office, 100 people that, I'll, I'll just brag for Vidal, Vidal and uh, <laughs> another guy, Val Flores, uh, started that up in about, what, 2010? 2010, yeah. And Uyala, like many Silicon Valley companies, like WiseLine, issued stock options to all or most of their uh, employees. And when the company gets sold, um, I think it was a big surprise for people who had never had that. It was like, oh, this is this nice perk that, you know, but it's probably gonna be worth zero. And then suddenly you get a check for, you know, maybe a couple grand, maybe more. Right. And uh, that's a nice little surprise, <laughs> a nice surprise. Yeah. Um, and and I think, you know, just, just thinking about other people in the community, I think 
in Guadalajara, there's a lot of really great tech people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of people are very behind the idea of this kind of venture-backed, win-at-all-cost, winner-take-all type of company that certainly, um, you know, you, you talk about Chris Saka. Yeah. You know, he's like, you talk to, you know, ex-Googler, they're thinking about taking over the world. And, and certainly when, when we joined Wiseland, our, our ambitions were, were very large. Um, but that's not for everybody. And I think one of the things I wanted to do during this podcast is talk to the people and kind of give our our perspective. And I would certainly love to hear people. Uh, we, we encourage you to contact us. Maybe we can have you on the show soon. If because I hear people, oh, it's kind of it's not that it's Godinez, but it's like we sold out. Like that, yeah. A startup is not necessarily about money. It's about doing things your own way mm-hmm. and having freedom, um, and you know, not having to work for a boss, but doing things the way that you want. And it's it's hard to respond to that when you know suddenly you're two three hundred people four hundred people a thousand people in a company, um, and yeah you're a big corporate company now you have HR you have yeah. rules you fire people you know it's it it's not always the greatest funnest place to work every single day we try to make it much better than any other company but yeah it isn't that free form startup and I think one of the big things is like you know honestly we're interested in creating wealth like. And, and exactly. creating, creating wealth that stays in the community that it was generated from. I think to me that's that's the most important thing because um, many people start company because of the uh, of the romanticism of it or some some sort, right? Like, oh, I want to start my own company. I always had that idea, right? I never thought I would build a huge, humongous company. And whenever people uh, uh, bring the point of valuation. I was like, not let's not focus on the valuation. Let's focus on building a great company. But it's it's naive not to think that if you're taking money from a institutional investor that is looking for a return, yeah, you you might be the the founder of a company. But the moment you invite people into your business, you're not you're no longer going to do whatever you want to do and just say like, you know, I'm just going to be thirty people. I think. Whenever you get into starting a company and you get into it seriously, you better have a good plan to grow it extremely big because, uh, like you said, your ability to recruit, your ability to turn heads and get it better, better investment terms are, are going to be there. And yeah, I, I don't think money is necessarily the reason why you build uh, a billion dollar company, but it's about the... Um, the spread of wealth that will ge- that you will generate for your ecosystem, and I think that's what's interesting about building an, uh, a unicorn in Mexico is that the first one that comes out of this market will be just for the books. Like people will remember that company um, and just create such a massive social impact on the people they employ. And I think that's what's great about venture-backed companies and fast-paced technology companies because. They leave a mark on the history, and probably there's there's tons of billion dollar companies in the history of, of economies, and nobody pays attention to them, right? Right. Uh, but the wealth that these companies generate in their ecosystems is what's quite impressive because you're able to change lives in, in people that uh, that otherwise would not be able to do that. Yeah, there's a guy named Brad Feld um, who wrote a great book on building startup ecosystems. He was an early uh, startup founder in Boulder. 
Um, but he gave a lot of other examples of not like San Francisco. San Francisco was this military industrial project to build first transistors and then microcomputers and then the, the internet company and so on and so on and so on. And it's, it's you know, at its inception, you can't really replicate that. Right. Um, but you look at a, at a startup community like Austin, Texas, which, you know, Austin doesn't have this, you know, all the, the rockets were in Houston. Right. So Austin doesn't really have this background, and there was a few big seminal companies that seeded everything afterwards. And it wasn't just wealth, but it was, like you said, how do you maintain a culture? And honestly, it's really hard. But you know what? If you know, I think we all, all of the, those of us who found in WiseLine, we all came from Uyala, mm-hmm. and Uyala, the, all the founders came from Google. Yeah. And so we already all knew the game plan by the time we started the company because we had lived it day to day. We knew the how to communicate, how fast you had to work, and the standards of, of code and technology that you had to maintain. So by the time we got to WiseLine, we were on the same page. And that gave us a big advantage in maintaining that culture as we went to 10 people, and then years later to 30, and then to several hundred now. Yeah. But if you look at Austin, you know there was a couple big, and I'm gonna mess up the name, I should probably look it up, Trinity, I think it was like Trinity, Consulting, and I'm just off the top of my head. We should do more research before we get on the air. Um, but basically, there was this Trinity Consultants. Is that it? Air quality permitting. No, that's not it. Right. Austin, Texas. It's, it's the thing is, it went out of business. Okay. Uh, years ago, but the people that worked there went on to found many, many of the Austin companies. And so, you know, a company doesn't just um, maybe that's it. Nah, if it's still in business, it's, I don't think it's the same thing. Okay. Anyway, but the, the whole point is, I should have done research, and bad, bad story, but the, the companies that came out of the, those initial companies in Austin basically gave the staying power to the technology community. They created enough jobs. As they exited one at a time, they, re, they brought more wealth into the community, and then new companies were started with that wealth. But also you had all of these people who were on the same page in terms of culture. Yeah. And I think... For us, uh, we really believe in the practices, and we put a lot of work into it. I'm not saying we do a perfect job all the time, certainly not, but in terms of, um, you know, we all believe that, I was just talking with Bismarck today, is like we really feel that this is an evolution and we like this culture more than any company worked at. my dad visited last week. Yeah. My my dad and my grandma and my mom were in the the office, and, you know, my dad's like getting ready to, to retire now. And I just remember when I was a kid, how, you know, there was many times, many times he loved his job, but many times where he was just so frustrated with how poorly the company's running. And he was coming into the office and he, you know, he's just looking at me, man, this is so incredible. Like, you know, everyone's just kind of free. You guys are, you have like this, you get a sense of the culture. And I was like, you know, dad, like a lot of the things that we put in are, comes from your generation. Yeah. Not wanting to repeat those practices. Yeah. But there's still a lot of companies that operate exactly like that. Like that, that you know, you have that boss who you can yell at you yeah. or, you know, abuse you. And we try to avoid a lot of that stuff. Um, and I think the people that work at WiseLine would never take that. And if they became managers, they wouldn't have the expectation that's how they work. And I think that's one of the big reasons you want to get big too, is if, you know, I think most of what you do as a, as a startup is not just your business. Your business runs it. But the biggest thing day to day is you work in an office and you have to like it. Yeah. And the culture really determines how much you enjoy your day. And once people get a taste of that, I think 
you want to grow that as much as possible. If you're if you're proud of your culture, why not a thousand people? Why not ten thousand people? Why not a hundred thousand people like Google? You know. Yeah, and and um, one thing that I've always wondered is, is um, I mean, and, and it's bad for me to say because I'm in this industry, but do we get special tre- treatment like software companies get a special treatment? Because you see all these companies, for example, WhatsApp was like. 20 people uh, valued it, at it's Instagram was like 20 people. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true, that's true, that's true. And like, you make, you do the math, and like, and I think somebody said, like, with the amount of money that it took to acquire, I think it was WhatsApp or, or Instagram, one of those things, like, you could acquire 13 basketball teams. Like, the amount of professionalism and sports that had to be put in the sweat to build all those teams. A group of people that were writing software would get more money than than all of them. So, I think it's a special kind of thing uh, because I think software gets a special treatment in 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 the economy. But I think it's just the amount of automation and impact on people that you can generate with with a medium like the internet, I, I right? think basketball players get paid a lot of money too. They do, they do. <laughs> but the thing that, so if I were to acquire something, if I if I was an investor, were to acquire something, I would not look at a basketball team. I mean, this guy, uh, what's his name Tech, uh, from, from Dallas? Uh, Mark Cuban. Mark Cuban, he owns a TV. It's out of his passion. He Obviously, he doesn't make his money from the Dallas Mavericks. Like he makes it from all, all the other investments he, he made. He did uh, radio on the internet. Yeah, there you go. Uh, and that's a way to, that's the one way to get uh, noted. But I think that um, coming back to the point of, of Mexico and, and, a, and, a, and a unicorn, yeah, you probably should do it with software. And especially because in an economy like Mexico, software companies offer such a lower barrier to entry you don't need a lot of money to start a, a software company and you don't need to worry about nafta that you much yeah you know it's it, you, you don't goods around you don't have to you know have a truck go across the border and get held up by trump or whatever is happening this week in you know the elections yeah. and um it gives you a lot of freedom i agree yeah so well actually this is a good time to bring up so I think we've we've covered to some degree structuring structuring the podcast. Yeah, uh, we talked about why we think it's important. Yep. Which you know, just recapping, um, it makes a big impact. Why are investors going to come down to Guadalajara or Mexico City? Why are they going to? Why are people going to move back from the United States to yep. live in Mexico to work at these companies? You need to make a big splash. You need to you know make an impact on your global uh, audience. And a billion dollars, that's a, that's a nice round number. That's right, uh, yeah. and, it, and it will get people salivating and wanting to put more of their effort, their time, and their money uh, into Mexico. And you know, we talked about some of the impacts of uh, the advantages of growth and scale in, in terms of wealth and culture. But um, you know, people might ask and be skeptical, well, is it even possible to create a billion dollar company in Mexico? And I think both of us uh, absolutely um, agree with that. And I wrote an article uh, like I said at the beginning, uh, a little bit back, called How to Scale a Unicorn in Mexico. Yeah. And it starts out, how many billion-dollar tech startups were founded in Mexico? And WiseLine was founded in Mexico. Our first office was here, and you know, Vidal's lifelong uh, Tapatio. Tapatio um, that's, and, what Trenton, uh, that's how Trenton introduces me every time. Mm-hmm. By the way, Trenton is a is a, a gentleman that we work with. Trenton, now you have to watch, you have to listen to this episode on your commute, Trenton, because we, we mentioned you. Um, <laughs> And so um, what I did is I was, I was, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a, like a numbers person. 
Uh, I like to, to go off of the data. And so I, I wanted to come up with a kind of rough measure of what I thought, how many billion dollar startups there should be mm. in Mexico. And so what I looked at is the number of software grads per year. And I can tell you from, you know, Vidal has done a tremendous amount of hiring. I've been involved in, in a hiring, you know, a few hundred uh, uh, engineers mm -hmm. in, 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 in Guadalajara. And uh, the, the level of talent that we have in Guadalajara, I can say is every bit as good yep. on average as what you find in, in uh, San Francisco. Yep. I don't think that's even a question. Like you can find a hundred, a hundred engineers that will stack up against any, you know, the average person at Facebook or Google or Uber. And certainly many Wiseliners, uh, and that's just our company. If you have another company, by the way, and you're like, stop talking about Wiseline, please call us. Yeah. We'll get you on the show. We can talk about something else. We can get a doll in here or somebody at least. And, um, we'll see if, we, if a doll, if a doll would ever, you know, yeah. come down the street. But, um, I think that it's the quality is great, and they say you know talent is evenly distributed on the world, but opportunity is not. There's so much more opportunity if you're in San Francisco. That's true. Because as of last year, and I think this number is higher now, there are 99 unicorns based in the United States. That's 99 companies that are a billion dollars or more that are that are currently still private. Yeah. And then you have the Googles and the Facebooks and the Amazons and the Microsoft, which are multi-hundred billion dollar companies. Like Amazon yeah. is worth 700 billion. Apple's worth 900 billion now. Yeah. So if you think about the first company to make it to a trillion, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is, is it 20 years going to be like? The new unicorns are going to be trillions. What kind of mythical uh, animal will we, will we I th get? I think Elon Musk is going to try to get the basilisk. We just coined what? that right now. The trillion-dollar company. Basilisk? A, a basilisk. What is that? Well, see, this it's a futuristic uh, fairy corn animal. A uh, fairy animal. Oh, my God. Okay, You well, could be making history right now. All right, so the basilisk is a trillion-dollar company. There you go. Matt said it. Uh, we're going to get Elon Musk to get on the, on the pod. Um, <laughs> And so there's 99 unicorns, at least there was a couple, whenever I wrote this blog, and the United States graduates about 70,000 uh, computer scientists, engineers, right. software engineers, people like that per year. And I figured because, you know, young people work at startups a lot, that that's about 707 grads per unicorn. So every 700 engineers that the United States puts out, yeah. you get another billion dollar company. And that's probably a good reason to finance a lot more um, school and yeah. get more people to, to enter STEM to you know get rid of the, the the factors that are holding back women from entering STEM. It's just good for the economy. It's good for everybody, and you'll get more unicorns. And we've seen that number grow. Um, but then you look at countries like uh, China. Now China graduates about ten times as many uh, graduates as in computer yeah. science, both because they're they're they have a much more top down driven mm -hmm. uh, education system. So they say like, what's the best thing to, to major in? Well, so software is a great one. Yeah, and you know they're doing a lot in AI right now, and they have generated forty three unicorns. But the difference is in the United States, it takes about seven hundred grads to form a unicorn, and in China, it takes about fourteen thousand grads. India similarly has nine unicorns, and this is a little old. I know uh, Flipkart mm -hmm. was recently sold for like 17 billion, or it's on the block. Uh, it was Amazon and, and Walmart were going after who's going to buy Flipkart. Um, but it takes about 38,000 uh, grads per unicorn. But Mexico, which graduates uh, about 13, 14,000 software engineers per year, it 
there's zero unicorns. Mm -hmm. And it's not like there's been companies in the last 10 years that have finally gone public or been acquired. It's just a really low productivity rate. And I think in the Silicon Valley, if you get some access to engineers, you go to you know Pacific Heights or something like that. There's a there's a director of product. There's a CEO. There's a head of marketing. You go to Marin. You can yeah. get your head of your VP of of, of whatever you need. Um, and so there's that infrastructure of experienced people. Yeah. Um, who have experience in technology, but also in the business operations, and then all of the relationships that are necessary. Uh, and they can take that raw material of these very smart. Uh, coders and designers and writers and turn them into that billion dollar um, company. And I think that's really what's missing in Mexico. But I think that's a very hopeful message, which yeah. is not, you know, it's like if you have, uh, you know, gold ore or something like that, you can refine it. Yeah. It's a, if you don't have the ore in the ground, you're never gonna you're never gonna succeed and actually Mexico produces a tremendous amount of very talented we just need to come up with that ecosystem not just to fund these companies yeah but of the experienced people and so that's the chicken and the egg problem that I think we're really how do we get those people either to come down or how do we generate on the ground people who after they work two or three years in a company like Questy or Wiseline or, or some of these other great companies that are, are being generated and I invite you to call us if you if you want to be mentioned uh, yeah how do we get them to get that experience so that they know how to go navigate and generate those big companies? Yeah, and I also think that if, you, if you're too big to build a company that becomes that big, the people that work in that company, the amount of experience that they will get is just a different level. I, I was reading an article about a guy that I think it started Asia Pacific for Uber, a run Asia Pacific for Uber, and he took it from 15 people all the way to 1,500 or, or even more. And, and I think that, that scale also, that's what it brings. It's um, uh, people that after they've done or gone through that journey of building a massive scale business, um, they come out knowing so much about people, how to design your organization, how to attract talent, retain it, uh, keep it challenged, and, and just move the needle forward. And I think that's what Mexico also needs. I, I, was, I was chatting with a... Uh, with somebody the other day and he was telling me that there's a lack of operational talent. What do we mean by that? There's a lack of talent that can build healthy businesses and run them, basically manage them and, and help other companies succeed. Basically frontline managers, directors, VPs in this country that some, some of them even go abroad, right? To get their education, to, to work at international companies and then sometimes come back and work at a bank here or any other uh, big company. But I believe also that the great benefit of having unicorns in Mexico would be exactly that, scaling a business with the implications of growing teams, training those teams and making them successful. And once you've achieved that scale, the number of people that will graduate, right, from in, in a way from that business will just have a, a multiplying effect on the whole uh, ecosystem, right? Yeah. Because now you can hire that manager that knew how to scale a team from one to a hundred. Exactly, and I think, you know, when, it, when we were young and ambitious and, you know, probably pretty cocky, uh, you know, to, to go off and say, I'm gonna start a company or even work at, at, a, at a fast growing startup, yeah. you have to have a pretty strong, uh, you, know, you know, idea of your abilities, but you cannot, 
ever understand the thing until you go through it, the importance of experience. Yeah. And I say that now, I feel like I'm an old man. Because when, I, you know, when you're young, you're like, oh, I'm smart, I can, you know, I, can, I can take on these challenges and I'll overcome them, and you will. Um, but in how long is it gonna take you? And, and I think for, for us over the past you know, several years going and building WiseLine, I can't even like, I'd have to write down dozens of pages of all the things that benefit from being able to look around that corner and see around corners because you've been there before or have yeah. that, that muscle memory. You know, the easiest one is hiring. You know, a lot of people can go and build great code right now, but to hire a team of 10 engineers to support you is something that I don't know how you would ever get good at that by, except by doing it many, many times and failing. And so, there, you know, there's a real benefit. And then you're talking about like, you know, going and raising funding. Right, like yes, anybody could go raise funding eventually, but you, now you're going to raise your Series A or your Series B while you're still running your business. Right? Does it take you a year to do that, or can you do it in two months? And you only get so many, you know, chances before uh, you run out of chances. And, and so it's just having people who have a, a, a an ability, and nothing that ever is so hard that a great person couldn't learn it, mm-hmm. no matter where they're from or what their background. But there's so much that can be gained by being at a big company or a small company that becomes big right. that you really can't get when you're a, a five or six person shop. And I'm not saying that to, to, to say, oh, you can't be a five or six shop. Again, Instagram sold when they had like 13, 20 people yeah. uh, for a billion dollars. So you can certainly do a lot with a tiny company, but the average company you're going to deal with having managers of managers yeah. and, and those types of things. And you can't, you know, I think one of the things that, is very excited about being a big company is also getting, especially from Mexico, getting people to come back. Oh yeah, from Europe. The amount of times we we uh, hear, oh, like if I knew an opportunity like X company was in Mexico when I left, I would have stayed. And I think that's also a side effect, a very positive side effect that uh, to Mexico is to attract the talent back that has left because uh, there were no big opportunities in this country for them to to succeed in. Um, and when you when you build a very healthy business that reaches scale, you're able to pay talent appropriately, right? And you're not worried if you're gonna make a uh, paycheck, right? And, and if, if, if all of a sudden you're a billion dollar company, you can really attract the best talent from around the world. Yeah, I think this is a this is a good segue to I think the last thing that we wanted to talk about, which you know so far we've talked about why we think it's important to have billion dollar companies or aim for that skill. You get a yeah. hundred, you get a hundred million. Look, everyone's going to be very happy with that. But yeah. You, you Especially in Mexico. A hundred million goes a long way in Mexico. <laughs> that's a, that's a two billion peso company. At least. <laughs> a peso unicorn would be just fine. I think we'd all, everyone would be happy with that and to see a few of those happen in the community here. But, um, we talked about why that's important. Hopefully we've, we've touched on, I think we'll, yeah. we'll have a series to talk about what's in the way and, and what you can do to solve. And I think is getting experienced people is my number one. And I think that's going to happen through training and moving people back. And I think the last, so those have been the first things we talked about. But then the last thing is, I think there's something very special right now going on in the whole world. Mm-hmm. And Mexico, whether people recognize it or not, hopefully people more and more are seeing it is at a crossroads where it can choose to kind of go on the path it's been on, yeah. or it can take a leadership path. 
Um, yeah. And I think, you know, the last thing I want to talk about is both what that means. And I think there's a very special economic opportunity for a city like Guadalajara, a city like Mexico City or Monterey yeah. or Querétaro or Merida. Like there's, which is the fact that Mexico is a culturally dominant country. I think that's what people don't understand. What do you mean? What do you mean culturally dominant? Who won the Oscars this year? Yeah, I guess a Mexican guy. Yeah, Guillermo del Toro yeah. won the Oscar. Uh, what was the entire election about in 2016 in the United States? Oh, yeah. Building that fucking wall, I they, guess. It was, it was, everyone's so obsessed with Mexico right yeah. now. And where's like the coolest place in the world to go? New York Times last year said Mexico City. That's where everyone's going. Yeah. San and Miguel de Allende as well. San Miguel de Allende. Um, we like to go down to the Palpa. Yeah, uh, sometimes you know people are are seeing Mexico more and more as an authentic place yeah. that hasn't been corrupted in the ways that when you have the United States and you have more authentic stories, you have a more authentic relationship, but you also have a very similar cultural kind of style that China does not have, right? Okay. And I think people are looking for that in the United States. And when I talk about I moved to Mexico, everyone's yeah. like, "Oh, that must be awesome." Right? Yeah. Which is, I don't know, maybe not what you would expect. Maybe it is what you expect. Yeah. So you couple that fact that Mexicans, and I'm saying Mexicans in the sense of people who have grown up in the, in the Mexican culture. And yeah. I think even more than maybe Central America or certainly mm-hmm. South America, Mexico, United States, understand it. You don't just have access to the biggest market because you have a border, but because you, like in many ways you have like a dominant, older and, and, and more rich culture than you know the United States is kind of like a mishmash of stuff mm-hmm. like I, maybe I'm, I'm I'm out over my skis here I'm a little I've gone a little too far but I, I really think that's the case um, I think we can build companies here that can interface with the United States in a way that no other country can in the world that's number one mm-hmm. and number two the price is right so the cost of living in San Francisco is roughly, and I can say this from moving from San Francisco to Guadalajara, it's roughly 5x right. uh, what it is. And now when you're you know, a 23-year-old and you're working at a tech company, yeah, you, you eat at work, you sleep in a bed in, like a, in, a, in the worst apartment you can afford in San Francisco, and um, that's not a big deal. But the thing is, when you go to have a family in San Francisco, it's going to cost you $150,000 minimum if you have two kids. Yeah. Between the transportation, all of that. Now, you take that, tran- that cost and you translate it to Guadalajara. I think that is a huge issue for people. Now, I'll stop there. But between those two, of if you could do a, sa- a startup in San Francisco or you could do the same startup with a much better quality of life in Guadalajara. Right. If all of the pieces are here and we can prove it with those first couple billion dollar companies, you have the opportunity for runaway growth because the more companies that start here, the easier it gets to start the next one and then the one after that. Yeah. And then also you have uh, all sorts of uh, uh, inspirational uh, sources here in Mexico, right? Like many things are broken. I'm pretty sure you'll find one that'll make you a billion dollar company. Exactly. I, you know, I think the next great transportation company could come out of Mexico. Or Guadalajara. Or Gua- maybe, Guadalajara. <laughs> maybe not Mexico City, maybe Guadalajara. Um, if not, you know, you have 40 minutes on your commute to listen to a podcast. Yeah, there you go. So I, I think that that's the way we want to, to go about this podcast uh, to, to Matt and I is it's just an opportunity to 
I think I think we've been doing podcasting. Just nobody was recording us. Like every time I talk to Matt, it's like we've we've had these conversations about various topics. And I think Matt the other day said was we should just do a podcast and, and share it with people. So what I mean, we're probably going to be on on several platforms like Anchor FM. Uh, you probably should find us on iTunes. We'll figure out a way to get this content out yeah, to everybody. Maybe is- YouTube. Maybe we'll start videoing it. Yeah. Um, I think the most important thing is if you know us personally, that's probably the first people can listen. So hi, mom. <laughs> uh, you can contact us directly, but uh, Matt uh, Pashensky is my handle on Twitter. Yeah, I'm Vidal G at, in Twitter. Okay. Um, so you can hit us up there. We'll open up the DMs. Please follow us if you want to have a topic discussed on the show. Um, we haven't prepared enough that we have like the one way you should get in contact with us. Yeah, uh, we'll do that in the future. But um, let us know. We'll we'll change a topic. If you have a startup and you want to have advice, uh, or if you have a startup and you just want to get promoted, you want to hire people. Hopefully, we'll create a community um, that can benefit each other in that way. And mostly, we're starting the conversation. But uh, the whole point of a tertulia or a tectulia, tectulia, yeah, is it's a salon. It's it's we want to invite people to come and share their ideas and share their. So we'll, we'll bring you on the show, or we'll certainly uh, discuss it. So get in contact with us and and let's start a conversation. We're doing this in English because uh, my Spanish is pretty bad. Uh, but uh, one of these days we'll do one in Spanish. What if, we could do it. We could do some Spanish stuff too. So, um, but hopefully this Once is a good, feels more comfortable. a good start. Yeah. No, yeah, but but we also want uh, to invite several people here to talk about various topics. Today was about unicorns. Later we'll probably talk about something, something probably technical, probably not as much. Uh, but uh, the idea is that you give us feedback, um, and if you like this. Um, we can turn it into an interesting thing that benefits the community. Yeah, excellent. Well, maybe the next one will be on basilisks. It's a hard word. It is a hard word. See you next time, everyone. Thank you.